good song. Exodus chapter 15, and I want to just tonight briefly give you a little introduction into this book of Exodus, and we want to spend some time the next few weeks, and we may have some interruptions and breaks along the way, but talking about the book of Exodus, amazing book of the Bible, and uh, each separate book in the Bible has a dominant theme around which everything else in that book centers. And uh, that's true of Exodus as well as many of the other, well, in fact, all of the other books of the Bible. If you did not get a worksheet, I forgot to ask you this before the guys sat down, if you need a worksheet tonight, if you'll wave your hand at us, we'll get that to you as one in your bulletin this morning. If you need one, hold your hand up there for a minute and the guys will bring that to you so you can fill that out as we go along. Brother David read those verses for us in, in chapter 15. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? There's none like our God, is there? Thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swalloweth them, swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. You look on your notes there. First of all, Genesis is the book of beginnings. But doctrinally, it is the book that deals with election. And as you go through the book of Genesis, you'll see a number of examples of that. For instance, God chose Shem from the three sons of Noah to be the line through which Jesus would come. And then God chose Abraham to be the father of the nation of Israel. God passed by Esau, and he chose Jacob. God chose Jacob from the 12 sons of his fathers to be the honored instrument for making the provision for his people. We talked about that a little bit this morning against the famine that was going to come. And then God passed over Joseph's firstborn son and gave the firstborn portion to Ephraim. So God, from the beginning, has also chosen us unto salvation. And if you look with me, keep your finger there in Exodus, but look with me to, over to the New Testament to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to notice what he says there in verse number 13. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. He says, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And so Genesis, as you see, is the book of beginnings, but doctrinally it deals with election and God's choices that he makes. And God always makes the right choice, doesn't he? And his choices are clear in the book of Genesis. Well, we come to Exodus, and Exodus presents the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. But doctrinally, it deals with redemption. And we'll see that in just a moment, how God deals with redemption in this, in this book. In chapters 1 through 6, the need of redemption is pictured by a people who are enslaved. The children of Israel are caught in in the slavery of Egypt, and, and they need redemption. They need to be delivered and redeemed. And so you have the need of redemption in verses one, or chapter 1 through 6. 
Then you have the might of the Redeemer in chapter 7 through 11. The might of the Redeemer, a powerful Redeemer. God is mighty and powerful to deliver the children of Israel. He's mighty and powerful to deliver us as well from all of the various things in our life. But that might was pictured in the plagues that he brought upon Egypt. And the nation of Israel saw the, or the, the nation of Egypt saw the mighty, powerful hand of God. And by the time he finished working with them, they understood that God, the God of Israel, was the true God. And then in chapters 12 through 18, you have the character of redemption that is given to us. That redemption is purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were set free by God's power. And so it is with us today. We are purchased. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are set free by the power of God. And then in verses nine, or chapter 19 through 24, you have the duty of redemption, the obedience to the Lord. Because of his redeeming the children of Israel, their duty was then to obey the Lord. And when God saves us and redeems us, we have a duty, don't we, to obey him and to live for him and serve him. And then you have in chapters 25 through 40, you have the provision for the failures of the redeemed. And that is seen in the tabernacle and in his services and and we all understand that God redeems us and saves us, but we unfortunately are not perfect. We still have some failures in our life. And God tells us how to deal with those failures. And when you get to the tabernacle and the services involved, you see all of that. So the whole book of, of Exodus is kind of wrapped around redemption and the redeemed. And the key verse to that is the verse we read in, in chapter number 15. Look at verse number 13 again. Exodus 15, 13 is the key verse. It says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth thy people, hast led forth the people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. Now I want you to think about that verse with me for just a moment. First of all, you see the need for redemption implied. The need for redemption is implied. And it's seen in that verse when it says, Thou in thy mercy. Thank God for his mercy. Amen. Amen. It's because of the mercy of God that we have been redeemed. We've been saved. We've been forgiven. If we got what we deserved, we'd all be in hell tonight, wouldn't we? But it's God's mercy. God in his mercy withholds from us what we rightfully deserve. It's God's mercy that withholds the punishment of hell for eternity. We never have to fear that. God's grace gives us what we don't deserve. It's God's grace that we get to go to heaven. We don't deserve that. And so here you see the mercy of God, the need is implied. Secondly, the power of the Redeemer is shown in this verse. He says, Thou in thy mercy hast led forth thy people, which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength. In thy strength under thy holy habitation. How is it that we're guided in our life as believers today? It's God's strength, isn't it? The children of Israel, the Lord guided them. He provided and cared for them. He took them all through all the wilderness wanderings and watched over them and met their needs and cared for them. It was the strength and the power of their God. And it's God's strength and power that enables us to live for Him and helps us to serve Him. Sometimes we witness to people and they say, well, I'd like to be saved, but I just don't think I could live it. Well, that's exactly right. You can't live it. But thank God for what the Lord said in John chapter 1. He said, as many as received him, to them gave he the what? Power. 
power. It's his power. It's his strength. Uh, Jude, I think it is, that talks about how he, we are kept by his power. He's the one that keeps us. And so he gives us the strength and the power and the ability. So the power of the redeemed is described here for us in his strength. And then also you see the character of the redeemed is described. His character says, thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people. He leads his people. Aren't you glad God doesn't save us and just leave us to wander about on our own? To figure everything out on our own? He gave us the word of God and he gave us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And it is God who will lead forth his people. And no matter what the situations or difficulties or choices or struggles we're going through in our life, we can rely upon the Lord to lead us. He will lead us. He'll lead his people. And he led the children of Israel 40 years through the wondering what they could have done in just, I think they say the journey could have been done in 11 days and it took them 40 years to travel through the, the wilderness. But thank God he led them. The pillar of the cloud, remember, led them at the daytime and the pillar of fire at nighttime. God led them. And when that pillar of fire lifted up, they packed up and moved. And when it stopped, they stopped. When the, when the, the pillar of cloud moved, they moved. God led them. You know, I've thought sometimes, boy, if we could have that kind of, you know, if we could have a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire just to lead. But you know what? We've got something even, well, equal to that. We have the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And we have the Word of God that leads us, and God's Spirit will lead us through His Word and will guide us through our life and through our journey and will help us to make the right decisions and go to the right places. So He led forth His people, the character of redemption, and then you see the responsibilities or the duties of the redeemed and their privileges that are signified in reference to the tabernacle. He talks about unto thy holy habitation. He says, thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. He was leading them through the wilderness to bring them to the promised land. And for us, he leads us through our wilderness journeys, you might say, of our life. And one day we're going to, have the privilege of being in heaven for all of eternity with the Lord. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the what? House of the Lord forever. Aren't you glad one day we're going to get to go to the house of the Lord? We're here in the house of the Lord today, and we're glad to come to his house and to worship together. But one day we'll be in the house of the Lord, amen? And we'll get to be with him for all of eternity. And so the responsibilities, the duty of the redeemed, and our privileges are given to us throughout the book of Exodus. Now I want you to notice something else about this book. I want you to notice the numerical position in Exodus. Exodus is what book of the Bible? Well, I'm telling you all, you are intelligent. Now, I know if, if Brother David had not told you that when he was giving you the scripture, he told you Genesis and Exodus, you wouldn't have been able to figure that out. But anyway, it's the second book of the Bible, the numerical position, the second book of the Bible. The number two represents a number of things in the Bible. First of all, number two in the Bible speaks of difference or division. It speaks of difference or division. In Genesis chapter 1, the second day, what did God do on the second day? He divided the waters 
He divided the firmament, the waters, and so forth. Two speaks of division or difference. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 16, Pharaoh ordered a division to be made among the, the babies of the Israelites. The, if they had a male child, he was to be killed. If they had a female, the child was allowed to live. He says in Exodus 1 verse 16, he said, when, when you do the office of the midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. So they made a division. They made a difference between the babies that were born. In the plagues, when, when, when God used Moses to bring the various plagues to the land of Egypt, the Lord made a division between his people and between the Egyptians. If you look over at Exodus chapter 8 with me, look at verse 22 and 23. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 22 and 23. He says there in verse 22, And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow shall this sign be. So each time when the plagues came, God had brought the children of Israel and placed them in the land of Goshen. That land was given to them by the Pharaoh. It was theirs. We'll talk about that later on in another message. But it was theirs. They had that place to live. And when the plagues came, there was no plague in, in, in Goshen. God put a division between his people and the Egyptians. And I believe God wants there to be a difference between his people today and the people of the world. We live differently. We act differently. We talk differently. Vicki and I were in a funeral a couple of, well, I think it was maybe even last week, or I believe it was last week. We were in a funeral in another church, and a man had passed away, and he'd gotten saved, I think, about five years before he died. And two of his daughters spoke in the funeral and talked about their dad, and and when we left the funeral and got in the car, Vicki leaned over to me and she said, I haven't heard that much cussing since my dad got saved. And that was in a church, in a funeral service. You know what? God put a difference between his people and the people of the world. We talk differently, don't we? We sing differently. We act differently. We even smell differently. Amen? <laughs> There's a difference, a division between God's people and the people of the world. The Lord divided between the cattle. In Exodus chapter 9 and verse number 4, it speaks of that. Exodus chapter 9, verse 4, it says, And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. He put a difference between them, a division. When Israel came to the Red Sea, what did God do to the Red Sea? He divided it, didn't he? Look at chapter 14 of, of Exodus and verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. God divided the waters. It is only in Exodus that you read about the veil of the that was in the temple that was divided between the holy place and the most holy. If you look over at chapter 26 of Exodus and look at verse number 33 with me. Exodus chapter 26 and verse 33. He says in verse 33, And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tax, that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, 
And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. God put a division there between that holy place and the most holy. So number two in the Bible speaks of difference or division. And that is the book of Exodus, the number of the book of Exodus. Then also two is also the number of witness. It is the number of witness in the Bible. In fact, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Number two is the number of witnessing. The suffering and the groaning of the children of Israel while, while they were there in the, in the wilderness, wandering through the wilderness, the Bible says that it witnessed to their need of deliverance. Back, if you would, to chapter 2 of Exodus, look at verse 23. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23. It says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of their bondage. And then it says in the next verse, And God heard their groanings, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob, and God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. He heard their groanings, and he remembered his covenant. Their groanings was a witness to God. You've made a covenant to us. And God kept his covenant with them. They needed to be delivered, and he delivered them. The plagues that came were also a witness to the power and the wrath of God. And God, during that time, chose two witnesses in the book of Exodus. He chose Moses, and he chose Aaron. And those were his two witnesses to announce what God was going to do to Pharaoh. Back in Exodus chapter 4, look at verse number 10. Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 10. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf? or the seeing, or the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs. So God chose two witnesses. He chose Moses. He chose Aaron to be the witnesses that would take the message to the Pharaoh and tell him what God was going to do. On the Passover night, the Passover night itself witnessed to the value of the sufficiency of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood that was applied on the doorposts and the blood that was applied on the top, it was a witness to the blood, the power, the sufficiency of the blood of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were told to separate a lamb. They were to watch it. They were to 
sacrifice the lamb and then they were to take the blood and put it on there. And what did the Lord say? When I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. Why did he pass over? Because of the power of the blood. And that blood has power today to save us and to protect us. And when we stand before God, when he sees the blood, he will pass over us. And so the Passover night witnessed to the value and sufficiency of the blood. If the blood was not there, their firstborn son died. But the power of that blood protected the firstborn of the Israelites. And then the, witness, the wilderness experience of Israel witnessed to the faithfulness of the tender love of God. As they traveled through that wilderness, God provided water for them. He provided manna for them. He provided meat for them. He provided their clothing so that their shoes didn't wear out, their clothes didn't wear out. Those wilderness experiences were a witness of the faithfulness and the tender love of God. You know, one of the things about our God is that He is our Abba Father. He cares for us with tender love and compassion. And we have a wonderful God who just as he cared for the children of Israel and just as he provided and took care of them, he cares for you and me. And through our wilderness journey of life, if you want to call it that, he provides for us and his, his uh, provision, is, his faithfulness is a witness to us of our great God and his tender love. The giving of the law was a witness to the righteous government of Jehovah. God gave his law so the people would know how to live. The tabernacle bore a lot of typical witness to the many perfections of Christ. And we could do a whole series of messages on that. But there's things over and over and over in the book of Exodus. The book, not that number two, the number of witness, the witness of God that's given to us there. And then the number two is also the number of opposition. It's a number of oppos opposition. One is the number of unity. Remember the Lord said of the early church, they were gathered together in one accord. They had unity. You see, the determined and cruel effort of killing these babies back in the book of, of Exodus was for the purpose of, of keeping the Israelites from increasing and from growing. And there was opposition against the children of Israel. They had this desire the, the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, to stop them from growing and multiplying. They had already become a large, uh, a large people. And so they're going to kill the babies. And so this number two, it's a, it's a picture of opposition. Israel is oppressed by the merciless taskmakers after they were taken into bondage. And if you go back to chapter 1 of Exodus, look at verse number 11. Chapter 1, verse 11 says, Therefore... They did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasured cities, Python and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of services in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. They were merciless. But you know what happened? The more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied. You get over to the New Testament and what happened in the New Testament. They were all gathered together in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. There were, there were 3,000 people saved on the day of Pentecost. And what happened? They all hung around there. 
And so you get over a little bit further in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, and what did God do? He brought persecution, and it says, They that were persecuted scattered everywhere preaching the gospel. What happened? The more they persecuted them, the more they scattered, and the more the gospel spread. Probably one of the most persecuted countries in our world today is China. But China is on track numerically to have the largest number of Christians than any other nation in the world because the persecution is forcing them to go out and spread the gospel. When I was in China a number of years ago, we uh, visited a house church. And it was in an apartment building. It was really kind of strange because when we went to the apartment building, there's no lights outside. It's dark. Uh, you go in. You kind of take a flashlight. You find your way through. And I think we went to the second floor and went into a little apartment there. And there was probably 50 people in there. And we had a service that night. And then after the service, we left and we went back into the, to the city to, a, to a, a hotel. And one of the couples in our group had rented a, a suite in the hotel and they had, a, they had a washing that night. And they baptized several people. I got to baptize two people in China. First time I ever baptized in China. First time I ever baptized in a bathtub. And we put, they had a little water in the bathtub. They'd sit the people in there. And they had their, their knees propped up. And we would lean them back in the water and baptize them and bring them out. One lady that I, that I baptized was a lady that, there was another lady in our group that she had led this lady to Christ. And, and this lady was a, she was a seamstress. She made, the other lady who was a missionary, she made uh, clothing for her and different things. And, and after she got baptized, she wanted a picture with me in there and then this, uh, this lady that had led her to Christ. And so she was on one side of her and I was on the other side that took our picture. She was so excited about getting baptized. When people got saved, they called them our new friends. They didn't call them, they didn't say they were converted or saved or born again. These are our new friends. And then when they got baptized, we're having a washing. But there were Hundreds of those churches all over China of people worshiping the Lord. The oppression here with Egypt, it, it, the Israelites multiplied the more they oppressed us. You know, it may well be that God has to bring opposition and oppression to America to see the Christians multiply and do what God has called us to do, to go everywhere preaching the gospel. And so, here they oppressed them, and they multiplied. It's interesting that Moses goes in and he performs these miraculous signs before the king and before Pharaoh's magicians. And the Bible says that they, these magicians in Pharaoh's group, they withstood them. It uses the word withstood. I want, you to show, I want to show you something. Look over with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse number 8. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8. We're talking about 2 is the number of opposition and Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8. It says, now as Janus and Jambres, what's the next two words? Withstood Moses. So do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, reprobate concerning the faith. Isn't it interesting that God only mentions two of the names of the people that withstood Moses, Janus and Jambres? Two, the number of opposition. 
Pharaoh opposed every step of the children of Israel as they went through their, their journeys. Even after Israel left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, you find the Amalekites oppressing them in the wilderness. And so two is the number of opposition. And then two is also the number of contrast. It's a number of contrast. Throughout the Bible, you have that true. Back in Genesis, you have Cain and Abel. There's a great contrast between the two, isn't there? Moses and Aaron, we've already mentioned them. Jacob and Esau, opposites, weren't they? The contrast there. David and his son Solomon, you have it there. And even with the two books, Genesis and Exodus, there's much contrast there. Genesis is a history of family. Exodus is a history of the nation. Genesis, Abraham's descendants are few in number. In Exodus, they have multiplied into the millions. The contrast is seen there. Genesis, the Hebrews were welcomed and honored when they came down into Egypt. But in Exodus, there's a new Pharaoh now, and now the Hebrews are hated and feared. In Genesis, a Pharaoh there says to Joseph, God hath showed thee all this in chapter 41 and verse 39. In Exodus, Pharaoh says to Moses, I know not the Lord in chapter 5 and verse 2. In Genesis, there's a lamb promised in chapter 22 and verse 8. In Exodus, the lamb is slain in chapter 12. In Genesis, you have the entry of Israel into Egypt. In Exodus, you have Israel leaving and exiting Egypt. In Genesis, you have the patriarchs in the land of milk and honey. In Exodus, you have the descendants that are struggling and traveling through the wilderness. In the end of Exodus, or in the end of Genesis, you find Joseph in a coffin. Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. What a difference with one going to a, a coffin and the other experiencing the glory of the Lord. And then there's a fifth thing that I want to mention, and that is this, that the central doctrine of Exodus is redemption. And it's very strikingly illustrated for us here in this book. God made, gave many types and symbols in the Old Testament to illustrate the great doctrines that are given to us in the New Testament. If you look over a moment to Romans chapter 15, look at verse number 4 with me. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4. And I want you to see what the Lord says there. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. And this is an important verse for us because sometimes people say, well, the Old Testament is not for us. We just have the New Testament. Well, listen to what he says in Romans 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our, what's the next word? Learning. Therefore, our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. He said these things in the Old Testament are for our, for our learning so that we might have hope. So as you think about this central doctrine of redemption, I want you to notice, first of all, the deliverance of Israel from Egypt gives to us a type or a picture of our redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel in Egypt illustrates the place we were in before God in His divine grace and mercy saved us. Israel is in bondage. They're slaves, and before we get saved, we're in bondage to sin, and we're slaves, and God redeems us and saves us and sets us free. God in His divine grace gives us His grace and mercy. Egypt is a picture of the world, as you well know. Pharaoh, who knew not the Lord, was the enemy of God's people. 
And in the end, we know the whole story. He was overthrown by God, and God allows the, the, the picture here of the adversary, our enemy, who is the devil, who was overthrown by God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross at Calvary. He defeated the devil. The cruel bondage of the enslaved Israelites pictures our bondage to Satan and sin before our salvation. And the groanings of the children of Israel while they're there in bondage under the burdens, it speaks of the painful conscience and heart when we are convicted of our lost condition and convicted of our sin, just as the Israelites cried out to God in their groanings, we cry out to the Lord and ask Him to save us and to redeem us from our lost condition. And then secondly, Moses the Deliverer, raised up by God, points to our great Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who delivers us, and He's the one that sets us free. And thank God for His providing that Deliverer. And then thirdly, the Passover night tells us of the security of the believer beneath the sheltering blood of the Lamb of God. Just as we mentioned already, that blood and the power of that blood that was put on the doorpost and lintel, we are sheltered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ when we one day stand before Almighty God. And then fourthly, the exodus from Egypt speaks of our deliverance from the yoke and the bondage of this old world that we live in. The crossing of the Red Sea speaks of our union with Christ in His death and His resurrection. And we have entered into that and we have the deliverance from the yoke and the bondage. We don't have to live under the chains of sin. We don't have to be bound to our addictions. We don't have to be bound to the old life. Christ sets us free. And He gives us the power to live for Him and to serve Him. And then the giving of the law teaches us the obedient submission that we owe to our new master. Now that we've been redeemed and saved, we have a responsibility to obey the Lord and to live for Him and serve Him. Just as the law was given in the Old Testament, they had a responsibility to obey that. We have the privilege of serving the directions and the commands. There's over 49 of them just in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, commands that are given to us, and we have a responsibility to obey and submit to each one of those. And then finally, the tabernacle, with all of its beautiful fittings and furnishings, shows us a little bit of the excellency and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So almost everything in this second book of Exodus has a spiritual message for us, and it has an application to us. When we think of the personal type of Moses and the burning bush and the Passover lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea and the manna and the smitten rock and the tabernacle, we have to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 162, David said, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. We, as we study God's word, we find great and wonderful things that are available to us today and that are provided for us. And much of that is pictured for us all the way back in the book of Exodus to help us to know what a great God and what a wonderful God we have. And tonight, just a little bit of an overview of the book of Exodus and some of the things that are found in there. And I hope it will whet your appetite a little bit to want to know more. We, we read through, and I, I do the same as you do. We read through our Bible and... Many of you are just about finished or you finished up for the year. Last year I did 
read through it every three months. I read through my Bible four times last year. This year I was doing some other reading, so I'm just about finished up with one time for this year. But you read through it, and, and you don't catch a lot of what God has for us just reading through it. We ought to read it. It's unfortunate the number of Christians that have never read through their Bible. And I know some of it is difficult. There's names and genealogies and all kinds of things like that. But, but read through. If you've never read through your Bible, read through it. But then take some time to study it, to dig in, to get to the, to the truths, what it speaks of, what it represents. And all of it, every book of the Bible points to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. If you want to know about, more about Him, and if you want to love Him more, get into His Word, study it, grow, learn. Let God teach you. I've been studying the Bible for many years, and I still got a whole lot to learn. I don't ever want to ever quit learning. I want to keep learning, keep studying, keep growing. One day when we get to heaven, We'll get to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and have him teach us a lot of things that we just miss. We just scratch the surface, don't we? What a wonderful thing it'll be to know it as he knows it when we see him. Well, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that we can just whet our appetite a little bit about the book of Exodus and think about some of the truths that you have for us there. Thank you for all the pictures, all the analogies, all the types. We pray that you'll help us, Lord, to learn. You said these things are for our learning and for our example. There are many failures recorded in the book of Exodus. If we'll take heed to them, we can have victory in our lives and not make the same mistakes that they did. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your redemption. Thank you for setting us free from the bondage of sin, the chains and the burdens of Satan. Thank you that we live from the victory of the cross. We don't live under the bondage of the old taskmaster, the devil. We have a new taskmaster, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to obey you and live for you and serve you, we pray in Jesus' name.